1: I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to episode 75 of Knife Talk. 75. That's crazy. That's crazy. We're here every Monday for you. So today we have myself, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. We've got the amazing Mareko Malmassi of Malmassi Fire Arts. And Jeff is back from his European Salsa tour. Jeff Fader is back. Jeff Fader of Fader <laughs> Knives. How are you guys? Tired. I'm,
2: yeah, I'm doing good. Actually, I thought they did the tango and. In Spain No In it's Spain.
1: the
0: flamenco They were doing the flamenco Oh, we Flamenco, right. oh, right. flamenco. flamenco <laughs> Whatever flamenco Se- Whatever you guys want But it was uh, I, Sexy we dancing saw, We saw some flamenco dancing It was uh, It was an incredible trip I'm, I cannot thank Tomer and And Nome Of Florentine Knives For hosting me Basically A couple You know Over the summer uh, I Last summer I got a no, no, Message from Tomer He wanted to know If I wanted to do a residency So we worked something out Over the winter he opened up, he said, I got a great idea, let's do some workshops, and people would come in, and we, he booked the classes, he took care of me, the flights, the accommodations, and we. I spent a week in his shop, which was an incredible uh, sto- situation, we, made, we ate incredible foods, Barcelona is just such a beautiful city, and um, we taught a, uh, uh, some great workshops with people from all over actually three of the guys listened to the podcast. Three of the guys who were in the classes, uh uh-huh. there was Stian Stian from Norway, uh Ben from Israel, uh, and then there was uh Peter from uh Switzerland. They all listened to the podcast. We had two guys from Italy. We had a lot of laughs and but Tomer was an incredible host. He put every he got He made dinner arrangements for everybody, and everything was like very, very well-organized. And it was a really positive experience, and I'm just kind of just buzzing from it. We had a great time. I I can't tell you enough about uh, Florentine Knives and Mm. their whole package, everything about it. It was a
1: really awesome experience. Mm. Really great. That's awesome, dude. And the food looked incredible. The food that you were eating. The food did look amazing.
0: He set up a... He's a smart. Tomer, Tomer is no dummy. He is a smart guy. So he had, for the second workshop, he booked all the cooks from this restaurant called uh, Dos Pebrots and it, Two Peppers. And it was this restaurant that focused on like Old school, um, like Mediterranean, very Roman focused food. It was tapas. They we had a t- we had a, a, a tasting menu, and there were some crazy things on. And uh, he, the sh- the cooks cooked for us, and then the next day the cooks came in for the class. So we had a lot of laughs. Um, for me, one of the most exciting and nervous making was the fact that two of the students didn't speak any English. So oh, we, geez. but oh. the, I, you know what? I tell you what, we worked it out. It was a lot of fun, and they had a good time. They were. They They were more nervous than I was and we made it happen so they had a great time everyone had a blast everyone walked away with a great knife everyone was real happy and it was a total success the food is fantastic you know Barcelona is one of these you know old uh, European cities that's got like a heavy dose of sleaze which I Mm. like you know reminds me of the old days in New York City when Times Square was actually a place of like you know there was some you know grit and grime and realism and you know little sleaze is good so there was it was just beautiful. It was really beautiful, and and the people who work at Florentine Knives are great. Georgia and and all the staff back there, and his wife Tomer's wife Noam is incredible, and their little son Lev was awesome. And you know, listen, it was as good. As, and the thing is, I was very conscious of you know the whole thing about uh, guests. You know, guests after three days are like fish. They you know both of them stink. So I just wanted to make sure that I was a good guest, and we uh,
1: we had a lot of laughs. So. Nice, nice. So tell us about their setup there in Florentine, because we, I think most of us have seen the pictures online and it just looks incredibly beautiful. Tell, tell us a they're, bit more about their setup. They're
0: very, you know what, they're very smart because they created a storefront that's also like a, almost like an expo kitchen, you know, like you can see what's going on. So there's mm. these glass walls and panels and doors and you can really see. You can walk in and look at knives, but then you can see the workers working on knives assembling the handles and hand sanding the blades and there's a grinding room and you get a feel for what's going on there. And it's just, it's smart because they have all this stuff, just the right amount of stuff that you need. Everything's very clean. Everything, you know, the, the it's, it's, it's a great way to kind of see what goes on and watch the knives being made. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very, very smart way to give your customer an idea of, you know, what's going on in here. It's it's all being fabricated there. And it was, uh you know, they, they spent a lot of time and energy in terms of their packaging, in terms of it is not only the design of their knife, but how they deal with their customers, and I learned a I learned a lot. I learned a lot from Tomer in regards to um, just the business end of of, of this business, and mm. and I was really impressed with just his whole his whole attitude and tone. I think that he and I both see relatively eye to eye in regards to what direction we want to be going in,
1: and it was great. It was a learning experience, total learning experience. Mm. We talked last week when you weren't here last week, Mareko and I talked about how. I bet you're going to learn so much just by spending time with somebody who does something slightly different to what you do. There's so many tips you could pick up from each other.
0: I I pulled up a pile. I pulled up Mm. a pile of little things that I really, really liked. And he and I spent a lot of time. And we would go out and we had a few drinks or we'd have something to eat. And we were constantly talking about these little things and what's the value to us and what's the value to our customers and Mm. where do we go. Mm. And I helped him and he helped me. And it was really, really great. I'll tell you what I didn't learn i tell you what I didn't learn. I didn't learn how to make good paella. I had some of the shittiest paella <laughs> I ever had in Barcelona. They're not known for their paella, P.S. So, right. like, hey, Spain, you got to get it together up there in Barcelona. It ain't known for the- that. Was some, that was some bullshit right there. So in regards to the, uh, the, I didn't learn a damn thing about paella there. That was for sure. But uh, Tomer warned me. He's like, hey, it ain't known for paella over here. Yeah. Did, did you get yourself some Florentine <laughs> nose knives for yourself? I, I actually put one together for Tony and then I got the parts to, I didn't have enough time and I don't want to bug him. And so I got, uh, he graciously gave one a small paring knife for my daughter, Lila and engraved her name on it, which was real nice. And I will try to kind of get her, into cooking. I was kind of thinking that this is something that she could have for a while and, hmm. you know, get her fired up about cooking and then I got the parts to put one together for myself, so. Yeah. It was great. It was really cool. I really liked his whole stack handle. I don't think anybody does anything quite like it and, He's got these really, really good transitions on how he makes his knives. Mm. He, his, he's, he focuses on the simplicity of the transitions. He focuses on good geometry, just a stunning look. I, I really—I'm I a, a huge admirer of Tomer. And, and actually, the first time I'd ever heard of him is when you interviewed him back in the day. So there's—in the archives, oh, if yeah, you look up yeah. Florentine Knives— Craig did an awesome interview with Homer, uh, and yeah. it was definitely something that I learned a
1: lot from. But he's a stunning guy, man. He yeah. and his wife are really, 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 really smart. Very, and smart. and it's still my go-to knife. My Florentine chef knife is still my go-to knife in the kitchen. Well,
0: uh, I'm fired up to give it, a, you know, put it one together and give it a whirl. So mm. we had a good time. It was their one-year anniversary in Barcelona. They had a little party. That was a lot of fun, and. You know, I got to meet some people in Barcelona and, and just, you know, it was great. My, my wife and kid tagged along for a little bit of it and that was fun. And we were kind of ships in the night, but they got to see a lot of Europe and our, uh, well, not a lot of Europe, but they went to go uh, see some cities. And, you know, my daughter is now getting to the age where in the, the school system is not the greatest. So we kind of focus on saving our money for travel and she gets to see, you know, more than just our little town and
1: she appreciates nice, it. Yeah. And it was a great trip. Nice, nice. Awesome, dude. I'm sure we're going to learn more about your trip throughout today's episode. Oh what, yeah. What sure. about you, Morocco? <laughs> what about you? What we you been up to, Mareko? Uh
2: So that knife that I had last week, that I was a little concerned about the pattern. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I sent a picture to the customer and let him know where where things were at, and um, and they were into it.
1: Oh, so there
2: we go. <laughs> I'm just, I've just been, yeah, Perfect. I've just been plugging away. So a little bit, n- nothing tragic there, fortunately, because I already had the setback of the Damascus. <laughs> so I've just been plugging away at getting that ground and kind of prepped. Uh, I've also, uh, actually, yesterday, and then I will be continuing today. I'll be doing some filming with Neil Kamimura. Uh, he's actually up here. We did some forging yesterday for as um, some B footage. And today, it's going to be all about grinding. Uh, we're kind of doing some how-to content for um, combat. Nice. About how I approach grinding blades, how I uh, approach handle sculpting, and how I really kind of... Uh, I think it'll be cool to to spend some time kind of talking about and, and, and demonstrating how I articulate and make use of the belt to really get a lot of contour uh Activity, activity, in in my in my handles, um, just the way that I like them. Mm. Jeff's seen them; they get really curvy in there, and um, so where- so, I, and it's. She- It'll go ahead. sorry
1: where will this footage be will it be on combat site or is it going to be youtube stuff what's it what's it for
2: i mean it's gonna i think it's gonna be hosted or living on youtube but i'm sure you can find it on combat site i'll i'll be posting up on my site as well as links to it on my instagram once everything gets put together cool. it'll probably still be a little bit um but yeah yeah the, what we got here is somebody taking raw footage and then Combat's going to go through and do some editing and put it together, and it's going to be good. I think it's going to be really good. So that's basically what I've been doing: is kind of getting ready for Neil to be here, and also just kind of tidying up and clean up around the shop. It's been it's been some incentive to tidy up my nats or nat's nest, <laughs> rats nest that I had building up in the corner where I have my workbench. I'm the I'm the worst about moving out of boxes when I move, and so. Uh, I was just like slowly just digging through my boxes when I needed something for a knife that I was working on. So now Neil's here, and I was like, shit, I gotta get this all cleaned up. So I cleaned it all up. and So I spent time getting ready for him for this, and that's it. That's basically what I've been up to this last
0: week. That's super cool. That's super cool that he's doing a tour and coming down to, to film with you and Luis. That's gonna be i I'm looking forward to seeing that. So it's gonna be, the video's gonna be at Combat Erasives or.
2: Yeah. So, so it's going to be, they'll have, I'm sure they'll have it embedded on their website. Right. They'll have links to it on their Instagram. They'll have it on their YouTube. They have a YouTube channel and I'll, I'll do the same. I'll That's have it cool. on my YouTube. Same thing. Awesome. That's going to be see great. I look
0: forward to yeah. seeing it. It'll be, it'll be really cool to see you guys going cranking something out, Craigie Good. Pie. What's going on? Yes. I tell you, I tell you one thing that happened last week that with you
1: is you 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 blew us off down in Barcelona. That's I one did. Thing. It's been it's been crazy. So I was so looking forward to coming over to meet you and to, to meet Toma and see the shop and everything else. But everything just got on top of me. So I, I've had a few orders. Um, this last month, I mean, I've talked about this in the past, where my wife was in India, so I was living in the UK with, with the kids and just trying to get through orders. So, so last week, I got a, my nephew came over with me and he was helping me out in the shop. And we had a week of just 12 hours a day, no real distractions and just cranking through work. So then last Monday, we flew back into the UK um, and since then, I've just been basically on the road. So I had to deliver a bunch of knives right up to the north of the country. And I've been in and out of London twice this week. It's just been nonstop, nonstop. So, mm. yeah, so we had a, a big, big rush job last week to get a big batch of knives finished. Those are now finally delivered. Um, and I said, it's just been meeting after meeting. So it's been planes, trains and automobiles all week. And I am pooped, absolutely pooped. So we That's good. We fly back to France tonight. We leave about 2 a.m. to get to the airport. Oh, it's... And tomorrow in France, so this is going live on Monday, but Sunday, recording Saturday, sorry. So on Sunday is Bastille Day, which is the French sort of Independence Day. It's a massive day in France. <clears throat> so we arrive 9 a.m. in France, um, and you know we do want to go straight to bed. We want to make the most of all the festivities, and there's, there's all this stuff going on. So, so come Monday, I think I'm going to be a man who could sleep for a week. I'm pretty sure of it. But uh, but it's all worth it. It's all worth it. So yeah, I've I've got to see a lot of the UK today this week that I haven't seen before. Uh, met some amazing chefs working on some uh-huh. really really nice projects. Um, Yeah, it's been one of those weeks of just, you know, in and out, in and out, and just, you know, getting everything in line, really, ready to make some more knives.
0: And P.S., American listeners, we have it not as good as the Europeans in terms of air travel. I did not know how cheap it is to fly around Europe. It's ridiculous. It's 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 ridiculous. When you hear Craig talking about he's jet-setting all over the place, the prices of flying throughout Europe... It's cheaper than a bus ticket. Yeah. It's a little annoying, to be honest with
1: you. because well, I, I can slows. get from um, France to the UK for about 9.99, as in 9. 9 dollars, uh, 9 euros. Yeah, which is rounded. 9 is near, euros, yeah. Which is near enough 9 dollars. Um, it so is infuriating. Are you kidding me? No, no, that's my flight price. But here's the thing, and this was going to be my beef. I've got a second one lined up just in case. Um, The travel, the the, the last mile, as I call it, so from the airport to the house or wherever it may be, that's the bit that's expensive. So the train, for example, from Cardiff, which is in Wales to London, can cost like £150. But I can jump on a plane and get all the way to France for like less than £10. It's, it's bonkers, bonkers. It's
0: bonkers. It's totally bonkers. And this is the reason why. I, 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 when, when we had the class, I, people were flying from all over the place: mm. Italy and in Switzerland and and England. And there was two guys. For you know, there was another guy from uh, you know from Norway. And I was just like. Jesus Christ, where do these guys have all this money? These are, we got some rich people flying from all over the place. And then Tomer <laughs> said to me, no, 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 <laughs> it's super cheap. And that's the reason yeah. why I was so irritated with you, Craig, because you were supposed to come down to Barcelona and you were like, is he coming? Is he not coming? And Tomer's like, he doesn't make a decision yet. I'm like, uh-huh. how does he get? Well, don't In the United States, you can't just show up to the airport and buy a plane ticket unless you want to pay a grand.
1: Oh, it's no, like, no, no, oh, there, yeah. you show up, it's like you're hailing a taxi cab. It's, well, there's it's so infuriating. many budget airlines, and these budget airlines—they're undercutting each other all of the time. And I'm pretty sure it can't be profitable for them because I've been on flights where I've paid sort of ten euros for the flight, and it's only half full. And I know it's it's terrible for the planets, planet, and 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 you know that we, that weighs on my conscience a lot when I fly a lot. But I, I think. I'm gonna go for the cheaper cost every time. Well, there you
0: go. Does obviously doesn't You're weigh that doesn't out. weigh that hard on you. Obviously, you don't feel you feel bad for a second, and then you hop on that plane and put your feet
1: up. That's what you do. But I'm hopping on the plane anyway. So whether I, I spend three hundred pounds or, or ten pounds on the on the flight, it makes no difference yeah. to my soul. So you know?
0: Americans don't think that these. You know, here's the one thing. One thing that's great about it is it encourages people to, in Europe to travel yeah. and see other parts of the country. There was like you know one of the cooks. You know, he lives, his his family was from Ireland, so he gets a couple days off, he hops on the plane to go to Ireland for nothing, for literally nothing, and it's not, we're not exaggerating. Tomer was telling me it's like, you can fly, you can almost fly for free.
1: Yeah, and it's and great. We can't do that here. To go down to Florida, you're looking at at least five hundred bucks. Unless it's school, oh, yeah, yeah. it's school holiday time, but at school holiday times they skyrocket the prices. Well, oh, oh. Yeah.
0: I'm yeah. not not crying for you, Craig. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> crying for you. I, I mean, I we're, we're, I'm the worst at finding air travel because I hate having to find the cheaper price, and then you get up on this plane that the, the, you know you
1: don't get this, you don't get that. It's like it sucks. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's, it's nice to be able to travel, but like I said it's the yeah, last it's mile. Great. That's that's where little cost comes in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Poor Craigie Wag and his little train. My train's too expensive. <laughs> all right. So, with all this fun and games, we come to some, you know, unfortunate news. I'm going to transition into serious, you know, serious <laughs> conversation. We've had some unfortunate news. I hate to be, you know, coming hard, but... These are some trying times. So, Mareko, you have a little bit of something to talk about, don't you?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim Hancock, uh who is an incredible knife maker, super talented. He he's somebody who a lot of folks look forward look to as a great example for like dog bone buoy handle or dog bone buoys uh and just just uh an an amazing level of execution quality and attention to detail uh he just passed away this um these past few days and uh you know he he's He's been an incredible mentor to some of the most talented American makers uh, that we have the fortune of knowing, like Mike Quisenberry and Mike Tyree, Travis Wirtz, Josh Smith. And uh, I I only know of him. I I never had um, the opportunity to meet him. Uh, He kind of he he kind of he, he. he came down with Parkinson's quite a, uh, like a few years back, and then he just kind of he it, it kept him from being able to make knives, and so he kind of pulled away from the community a little bit in that way, and so he hasn't really been part of it, and and ultimately that was it was what took his life, and uh, but from what I understand, he was an incredible guy, very very kind, very gracious, very thoughtful when he would look at people's work um, and just give some really great feedback. And, and Josh Smith had some really nice words that he posted on his Instagram that I want to share. Uh, he says, Tim Hancock was a mentor to me and so many others. He was an amazing, t- amazingly talented knife maker. Tim was an accomplished explorer on the back of a mule and a couple packed behind him. Um, I, w- I was lucky to develop a close friendship with Tim and spend time in his home and also have him in mind many times. Tim's career was cut tragically short by Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease. Tim was one of the largest influences on my knife-making skills. I use his techniques every single day. I make knives. Uh, I always, I will always be thankful for what uh, he taught me, and even more thankful that I got to call him a friend. Rest in peace, Tim. Mm-hmm. So, so... Uh, <laughs> it's got me all choked up, actually, a little bit. I mean, well,
1: it's, it's very sad, and, it's, it's and, it's and he was a yeah, right. squad. I mean, to his family and friends. It's 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 a terrible. Absolutely, problem. I know absolutely.
0: absolutely. I know that I, the first time I'd ever heard of him was from Nick Wheeler. Nick Wheeler would talk about Tim Haycock yeah. quite often. And look, you know, it's yeah, it's he's a, 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 it was an incredible wealth of 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 information to a lot of people. inspire a lot of people, and there's something to be said about that. You know, it's something to be said yeah. about being able to you know inspire people and. He's going to live on with other people and, you know, passing all that information along is fantastic. Hmm. So maybe he lived yeah. a full he lived, you know, life was cut short, but he lived a full life and he was cared for and people, you know, he helped a lot of people and that's something to be yeah. said.
1: Obviously well respected yeah. by the community and,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, <sighs> it's very tragic and, you know, we're with you. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's sad and, and, uh, I'm gr- we're obviously grateful for his,
1: his contributions to a, you know, a very important field. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So we've been asking you some questions and this is part of the show. We like to call, Hey man, can I ask you a question? Hey man, can I ask you a question? (laughs) All right. So
0: here we are. The first question comes from max gear three, one, nine. And he writes, "I'm a small guy without hardly any, uh, without hardly any fancy tools, and I have to ma- use makeshift of I makeshift most of what I use. I feel it's, it builds a better smith to start out with less and still produce great blades versus someone who jumps in and magically has all these great tools and a bit less talent. Would you agree? Thanks, guys, you rock. So basically, he's saying." <clears throat> He, ha- he has minimal tools, and he thinks that, that there's uh, some sort of value to that. What's your opinion, guys?
1: If, yeah, I think if, you, if you're starting from, you know, starting from scratch, um, you, the tools that you've got, you'll learn to appreciate, and you'll spend a lot of time sort of mastering those tools. Whereas if you were to go out and spend you know, 50 grand on a brand new shop with everything you need, you're never going to be mm-hmm. able to sort of spend that time with each machine and learn its little quirks and so on. So there's definitely a value to that. Um, but I also think I mean there's a lot of sort of people gear bashing people who say you know oh well you've got you've got that so you know it's easy for you um, you know and I don't think that's the case either. But I think whatever whatever works for you and you know I personally I could always do with an extra machine you know no matter what it is I've always got an extra machine on my list ready to be bought. Um, but yeah, there's definitely <clears> a value in starting with very little and having that time with each with each machine or tool that you have to to learn is you know it's extensive. I am not even gonna try that word. Um to, to learn <laughs> to learn <laughs> eccentricities? The, that's the one I tell there you, you go, what baby. last week we had chatoyans, so we've got eccentricities well, this go week. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. High level podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a value to spending time with, with each tool and getting to learn it. Um
0: yeah. What do it. you think? What do you think, Mareko?
1: Uh, I think it's
2: I think it's just in general if in anything that you want to do in life is unless you really really can afford <laughs> for it to go out the window uh like you just went and got a burger and decided that you didn't like it and just threw the rest of it away um i think it's better to start slow uh, rather than diving in headfirst and, like Craig said, investing a ton of money in all of the gear and equipment that you need, uh, or most ideally have and and use to make knives, um, I think it also gives you an opportunity by st- starting a little more humbly to have uh, to to learn a lot of very. Solid foundational skills about patience, actually more than anything, patience and taking the time to do things well the first time, um, doing them by hand with simple hand tools um, and then graduating, um, because ultimately it's doing that kind of rough work that will really help. You decide, you know, is this something I really want to do? Do I want to take this full time? Do I want or am I good and I'm ready to move on to the next thing? Uh, I just think starting simpler more than anything is just a good idea in general.
0: I get the feeling that he's basically saying it's more virtuous to start out with less. Mm -hmm. And I tend to disagree. Mm I tend to disagree in terms of the idea oh, yeah. of in terms of the idea of like, well, he has this and I don't have that. And I'm makes me that I'm I'm more talented with less. And this guy magically has this thing and he's he's not as good. I, I tend to think that in this field a lot and we, you know, we dealing with like other knife makers and dealing with customers. I think we need to stop focusing on what other people are doing and start focusing on it it doesn't really matter if you if at the end of the day if you get the job done you get the job done and I think that yes, as a, you know, I started out, you know, by, you know, when you're a blacksmith, you end up making a lot of shit that you don't have. There's a lot of times where you're unable to, you know, afford certain things and you have to kind of make do with what you have. Guys using train spike or uh, using train tracks for anvils. You do whatever it takes. And there is a value yeah. to being able to be uh, a problem solver. There's a value to being able to figure out, well, listen, I can't afford this now, but someday I will. But I think that when we get to the point where when my kid was as on the swim team. I used to beg her, whatever you do when you're swimming in a race, don't look over to the other guy. And she or the other person swimming, and she says, "Why?" And I said, "Because the statistics are when I watch people and the kids are looking at the other swimmers, they always lose. So I think we need to kind of focus on our own journey and there are certain things that are just going to take away the certain things are going to take away your problem. I mean, like listen, we can start off with the file but if I had a two by 72 grinder, I'm going to cut out a lot. I'm going to be more efficient in what I'm yeah, doing. Definitely. You know, I think that I think that we worry too much about this. You know, there's there's no metal for virtue in regards to how you're doing it. If you do <laughs> if you do something for if you do something with a, no one, no one. Go, you know, that's the thing about when we talk about when I talk about my 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 uh, complaints about the art world. Yeah, ultimately, it's the final outcome. It doesn't really matter how you do it. Nobody nobody looks at a piece of art in the wall and says, "Oh well, this is how he did it," and it makes it more valuable. Ultimately, it's the final outcome. So whether or not you're doing it with minimal tools or maximum tools, ultimately, I don't even think it care. I don't. It doesn't matter to me at all. And or, or your customers. Yeah. Your customers, hmm. unless you're just like, well, you know, this the whole point of this knife is that I I only use rock salt and you know, a couple twigs and a pine cone. All right. Well, now all of a sudden it's very interesting. But at the same time, it's like, I don't worry about what the next guy does. It doesn't have anything to do with me.
1: Swim your own race.
0: There you go. There we go.
1: Hey, baby. I like it. I'm with you. (laughs) All right. This next
2: one is from Gabe Jensen 09. says, since all... Uh, since you all work for yourselves, are you guys doing anything for a retirement plan, or are you not planning on retirement?
1: This, I think this is for you specifically, Jeff, being the oldest. You, you need to start worrying about this kind of shit, I think.
0: Amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Now we're, the we're going in the, we're going into smartest. Because <laughs> I, we, my wife and I started a retirement plan a long time ago. Just because we wanted to be save money for my daughter to go to college. We're, by hook and by crook, we're going to get there. And we've been putting away money. So when we get to the point where we're going to retire, we have a little bit of dough. Now, based on my history, as in my family, my father worked until he couldn't work anymore. There's no way I'm going to be sitting in a lounge chair, drinking a margarita, waiting for the sun to set and watching, you know, the Golden Girls. That ain't happening. I'm going to be up. I'm going to be I'm going to be walking around making shit until the day my my day is done. So but I have a little bit of money to, you know, hopefully to whether or not it's for me or if I can pass it on to my daughter. Yes, the answer is yes. So I I'm looking towards my future in a positive manner. So there you go.
1: Mm. How about you, Crego? I don't have anything formal. Well, so um mm-hmm. I suppose, property, you know, buying property and that's, you know, that's going to be sold eventually, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, my wife's 10 years younger than me, so, hey, she can continue working while I'm sitting in a rocking chair. <laughs> nice. There you go. That's a good plan. That's a joke. Yeah, that's a joke. She would kill oh. me if she heard that. She would kill me. Um, but, know. no, it is something that plays on my mind, actually, because it's, I said we've, I've got nothing formal. Um, I've always worked for myself, never really worked for anybody else apart from a very short period. So it's always been up to me. Um, And pretty much like like you said, Jeff, I can't see myself not making stuff um, until until the day I die. But um, yeah, the time is ticking on, and you know I'm 42. I'm no spring chicken, so it it is something that I need to take more
0: seriously. F Y I, if you put money away in a retirement plan. That that reduces. I mean, sorry to sound like we're talking. This is like accountant talk, but I mean, you do pay less in taxes. <laughs> talk. Yeah, you pay flex, I mean, it yeah. is you are saving money because if you're putting a certain amount of money away, you're paying less in taxes every year. So it's like that's not like you know it's better. You know, you're 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 paying taxes on less income because you put that money in your retirement. So you're and actually
1: think, making a little bit of cash. I think it's actually different, in the UK and Europe, it is to to the US as well, where um, we actually pay something called um, national insurance, which goes towards a sort of a state pension, that kind of thing. And and, mm. and particularly in France, it's a lot more generous than it is in the UK. Um, but but this reminds me of a story, Something I saw this week. So it's um, it's Father's Day coming up in the UK. I think it's next next Sunday. I think. Um, I saw. I was reading this, this magazine. There's an advert for it, and it was it was a nursing home. And this advert was Father's Day is coming up. You know, you need some respite care. Why not put your father into a home? And ah. here's a special promo code for Father's nice. Day. It's
0: just like, nice. Oh, my uh, God.
1: That's fantastic. Amazing. <laughs> what? Amazing.
0: Amazing. When are you going to do it? For Christmas? <laughs> I mean, when are you going to run that ad? Happy Father's Day, pro- Dad.
1: You're going into a home.
0: It seems somebody's like, that eh, makes a lot of sense. What are we going to do? Valentine's Day? If you love him that much, put him in a home. <laughs> what are you going to do? You got to figure out some time to
1: spring that promo code. Crazy. You know? Crazy at, f- at 1500 a week. Crazy money. There you go. What about what you about you? Morocco? Do you have any sort of um retirement plans or any sort of um
2: Yeah, my I mean, my wife is much better at the money side of things, but she she's very good at saving and we do have Uh, or she she has set up some sort of retirement situation for us so that uh, we're going to be good Mm. Uh, and also in addition to just my own health insurance we also have uh, life insurance you know Mm. just in case the very worst happens working in the shop because obviously we know it does happen yeah and so yeah yeah so that's another thing to think about
1: and again that's a big difference between sort of europe and the u.s you know um, healthcare, life insurance, that kind of thing. It's, you know, in the UK, you're pretty yeah. much set. For the for the time being, how long this will last, we don't know. Um, but, you know, if you were to be in an accident, you're going to be taken care of, you know, cost-free. Whereas yeah. I know wow. for you guys in the US, it can be crazy, crazy.
0: Generally, when you, you deal with this stuff when you have kids. So mm. a lot of the times it has to do with, like, well, what are we gonna do we're gonna get talk about what else are we can talk about i mean this is some bullshit come on man let's get into <laughs> fucking knife talk we don't need to talk about retirement talk these people videos. don't care about our <laughs> do care about our fucking problems like this come on let's get going hey BM- hey listen to me listen to me uh gabe jensen don't worry about it we're all squared away and so are you let's get to the next question
1: bmlk802 asks do you think about your legacy if so what do you want to be remembered for Either as a functional artist or as a human Ooh, Deep. I like that one that's Deep. a good one. go ahead, or Echo, why don't you kick us off
2: okay um yeah i mean some from time to time I think about it, and that's you know that's part of what what I'm trying to do more or why I'm trying to do more meaningful uh like how to content you know I do really quick like stuff on my Instagram just showing a little tidbits, but I, I would really like to go deeper to really help people because, um, it's hard to offer classes unless you either have a lot of experience at that you're really good at it or you have the setup. And I don't really, I don't really have any, <laughs> any of those things. So the best I can do is try to just put it out there to help other people. Um, because ultimately at, you know, at the end of everything, like, what do you got? But, how you treated other people in the world mm-hmm. and and the people that you love and care about, and so you know i I folks get upset with me for not being more stingy, I guess, with the stuff I know and do, but you know if I'm gone tomorrow, what good is any of that so um so yeah, I guess I do think about my life. <laughs> well,
0: being helpful is a, being guys? helpful is a being helpful is a very noble thing, you know there's nothing there's you know being helpful is very noble
1: yeah i think with regards to legacy i don't really think of my work in that case because you know what we're doing we're not changing yeah. the world with our knives um but yeah. i just think like you said you know being you know that human that you want to be and you know i think we've all got somebody in our life that you know were a big sort of influence on us and for me it was my grandfather and you know every decision i make is like you know would he approve of this kind of thing um and mm. i just think you know being that sort of person where especially now having kids. That you know they can look up as they grow older. I want to be their hero. You know, I think that that's the sort of legacy that I, I think about really more than work. I don't really think of any sort. Of, you know, I'd love to see my knives being used. You know, in in sixty seventy years' time somewhere, um, and you know for future generations to be using my knives. But that, that you'll that's, be dead. I'll be dead. It doesn't. Yeah, it, that's not my driver really. Yeah. I think that's a very smart
0: thing to say because I like this question and I think I thought about it and and honestly, 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 my legacy is, is I want, I want to work like a dog. So maybe one month I, I will have a little bit extra money that we can kind of knock out a little bit more of our mortgage. I want to be able to make money that, my daughter's not going to have to be straddled with a pile of loans for college. Maybe make enough mm-hmm. money that I can give her a little bit of money, so when she starts her life out, I can help her with the down payment of a house. These are the issues that I real I think about every day. I don't think yeah. about you know future generations at all. I I, I could give a shit about the uh, the the unborn future <laughs> dead. You know the future unborn customers of mine. I I could care less. I'm interested in taking care of you know trying to make. M- the, my family's life a little bit better and that's really kind of my 100% driving goal and in regards to my knives I want people the only thing I want people to think is I giving I'm giving them value and I'm I'm standing behind my work and that's it I don't really get, care about them handing I don't really that whole handing down the generations thing it's like I'm gonna be dead what do I care I had a when I had my appendix out and they put me out I, when I woke up, I realized death is not going to be that awful. It's not like we're sitting, we're going to be sitting on a cloud twiddling our thumbs. You know, I think that, you know, I'm not <laughs> going to be worrying about, you know, that stuff back down the line. And I think that the legacy is, you know, the legacy is now. It's like what I'm help, how I'm helping my direct family.
1: Hmm.
0: So this is a deep and serious episode. This is damn 22. right. Shoosh. Shoosh. Onward. All right. This next one comes from now we're back to knife talk before it was it was lawyer talk or accountant talk. Now back to knife talk. All right. This comes from a strange event. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? I'm just getting ready to heat treat my first forge knife. And I have a question about soaking. I'm wondering what soaking will do at various stages of the heat treat. Love the show. And hello from Nova Scotia. So when we talk about
1: soaking, we're talking about heat treatment. What do you guys think? I found it with different steels; it can make a huge difference. So, um, I, when I first started, I was using O1 a lot, um, and I was doing my heat treat in this little forge that I had this little devil forge—and it was terrible. Um, but yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to, you know, be able to have the use of a, a tester, a hardness tester, um, and with O1, I mean most of the uh, recommendations that you see online and in the technical sheets and so on—they all say sort of five, ten minutes soak and that kind of thing. But I was finding, for example, you know, with O1, I was finding a twenty-minute soak was was far better. Now I don't know why. I don't know about you know the chemical compositions and what was happening scientifically there. Um, but I seem to have just just a harder blade, um, and I'm sure one of you guys will be able to tell us what you know what was happening d- during the time of the soak. Um, but yeah, I, I just think if if you can find the the technical specs of the, you know the technical heat treating specifications. Um, just play with it a bit, you know. Soak a little bit more, soak a bit less, and, and just see what works for you.
2: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> in my experience, soaking the material, <coughs> excuse me, uh, is, is important at various, even in temper stages. You know, you don't want to just. I mean, if you're in a pinch and you gotta you gotta torch temper a blade, then you gotta torch temper blade. But ideally, obviously, you want to l- get it a, at least a good couple cycles at you know. If you're trying to keep it harder than maybe a three hundred fifty versus a harder working knife, which is more maybe around four twenty five or four fifty. Um but you need those soak times to really get that heat evenly distributed. Uh, Or, I guess, to evenly affect the entire blade. Uh, But when it comes to soak times and hardening, it it does depend on what kind of steel you're working with. Um, One potential, um, actually, reason, Craig, that you're getting harder um, blades from a longer soak is that as you, once your steel comes to critical and I don't know what the temperature if you are soaking right at critical which is maybe 1500 1550 or something like that um but once it reaches that temperature and then is soaking for a long time at higher temperatures that grain is grow, starts to grow which is obviously not necessarily the greatest thing and grain large grain will yield um Kind of a false positive. Yes, you'll get a hard-ass knife, but you'll also get a very brittle knife. And if you want to go for a higher, a longer soak with higher carbon steels or higher alloy steels, uh, high carbon steels, then uh, kind of a better way to go is lower temperatures for longer. So eventually, even it'll take longer for everything to go into full austenite, but you have less, you're less likely to accumulate large grain growth. In higher like those higher alloy steels and um and I guess n- you'll get the full hardness the high hardness that you want without um, potentially overgrowing that grain um but with more t- conventional high carbon steels especially ten series 1075, 1080, um ten ninety five um you don't need much of a soak i, I you know because it's because they they don't have all the crazy alloying elements and stuff in them, and so you know uh, you know five minutes at at crit- once it's at critical temperature. So what I usually do with my in my even heat kiln is I I bring the kiln up to temperature, I let it cycle down and kind of even out, and then I put my blade in, and then I let the kiln come back up to temperature, and after, I give it first like five ten minutes to just come up to temperature, and then once it's temperature then I let it soak for another five minutes so it's probably a total of probably gets the temperature and it has my soak at at about uh, five uh, 15 minutes so actually at 20 minutes Craig if that's what you're doing similar thing Mm. Your blade was actually probably fine, okay. <laughs> so I wouldn't be concerned about grain growth. But if you had brought it up to critical and then let it soak for 20, another additional 20 minutes at, at 1,500, 1,550, or even higher temperatures, then I would be concerned of the, the grain getting kind of out of control because um, it, it grows pretty aggressively uh, with time, for there sure. There we
1: go. There's the science
0: lesson we were looking for. Well, I tell you what, this, that's an excellent, that whole grain growth story was, a, was a excellent. And I actually, yeah. when I read this question ahead of time, I actually wanted to get a different voice. So I sent a message to our friend Jonathan Porter at Doghouse Forge and I asked him what he, oh, nice. what, about his opinion about soaking, the concept of soaking. So what he wrote to me was soaking allows time for the work pieces to evenly distribute temperature through the thickness. He says, think of cooking a steak. The grill might be 500 mm. degrees, but even after cooking for 10 minutes, the center of the steak is still only 120 degrees. So that, that whole concept of soaking is you're kind of normalizing that temperature. When I was in culinary school, they dis- when they discussed how an oven works, it's a, it's a, it's an exchange of temperatures. So you have a hot oven and you have a cold, whatever you're putting in, and you're actually— when you put that cold piece of whatever into the oven, you're actually exchanging the temperature. So the oven of the temper the oven goes down in temperature, and then the whatever you're putting in goes up. So it's an exchange of heat. So that soaking time is really about uh, normalizing that temperature all the way through. Mm-hmm. Cool, mm-hmm. makes sense. There you go. Yeah. A Little yeah. technical. All right. Got it all.
2: Yeah. <laughs> all right. This next one is from Diamond Metalworks. He says, "Hey man." Do your wives listen to the podcast? Do you guys wives listen to the podcast?
1: No. I know she does sometimes because she'll she'll refer to things yeah. that have been said, but um I don't think it's on her uh, top ten list of things no. to do in a week. No. no she my <laughs> wife is not interested
0: in grain growth at all. There's no there she heard my she guys she gets enough of my shit anyway. She's just like, what do I got oh, I gotta listen to you on tape? Come on, give me a break. You had it. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah, astonishingly, my wife does listen to the podcast. Uh, and it's, it's astonishing in a way that I'm always talking about knife making in the first place. And then she still listens to the podcast. So, I, I, sweetheart, thank you so much for listening. Appreciate the support. <laughs> wow. <Now, now laughs> let give a you shout up, out. We need let's to review sh- on
0: iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. You listen so much. You're with <laughs> you. We're with you. Mareko's wife, welcome aboard. Thank you for being so Sarah. supportive. Sarah, thank you very much. I appreciate it.
1: All the Triple, best. Triple H Ironworks asks, hey, cutie, can I ask you a question? What was the dumbest financial decision that you've made as a beginner? That's a good one. Mm. That's a good one. I'll, I'll kick things off. My dumbest financial decision was buying the cheapest stuff I could get. So with regards to, you know, mm. a drill press, I bought a cheap grinder, a little 1x30 grinder. Um, it got me going, um, but... The the difference when I sort of stepped up and bought, you know, quality equipment, the difference was just exponential. It was it was just crazy. Um, So, yeah. So make those buying decisions quite carefully and don't don't sort of scrimp on um, on the essentials. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, I
0: mean, you don't know. You think, you know, until you know.
1: Yeah, I've never
0: I've never every time I've spent a little bit extra money on my oven, my even heat oven or a grinder. I always think, why did I wait so long? And then, then I get angry because I thought, ah, I'll be okay with this, you know, Ryobi, you know, nonsense. You know, I'll be okay with this until I can figure it out. And then every time I get something better, I'm just like, I was so stupid. Why did I wait so long?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I've had the similar situation uh, that you had, uh, Jeff. But I think another thing that I've done is I just, I, I get it built up in my head when I'm looking at, like, handle material or you know like corby like i had a a batch of (laughs) special corby bolts made from bronze and you know i had to do a minimum purchase of like 200 bolts and i was like yeah i'll use all those and um and or just like steel like getting a bunch of steel and be like yeah i'll use that and it's just laying around like it's stuff that i've (laughs) i'll probably eventually get to it but I'll actually more likely sell it to somebody else before I actually use it. So I guess it's it's buying more than I actually need at that time. Um, it's because I'm dumb. <laughs> I guess
0: that's a good question. That was a good question.
2: Yeah. All right. So talking about. Money, you're not gonna make a mistake. Actually, if you go to combatabrasives.com, because they got a 10% discount code combat. Or sorry, it's knife talk 10 at combatabrasives.com, and that'll save you 10% on anything that you buy from them. Whether it's their handle material, their epoxies, they got uh, all kinds of crazy abrasives uh, in all kinds of forms and formats. Um, from the what are the, they obviously have belts, but they also have—they actually have buffing compounds and buffing wheels, and they got all kinds of stuff for you. They got discs, so whatever you need, uh, when it come, especially when it comes to abrasives uh, on your machines, uh, especially your grinding belts. Those shredders are incredible. Um, go to combatabrasives.com, uh, punch in knife talk ten. And then, uh, and you'll save yourself ten percent. And don't forget to tag yourself, uh, or tag. Sorry, don't forget to tag us when you get a hold of your combat and show us what you're making with it. We want to share you back out, and uh, and combat will want to put you on blast too. So definitely make sure to give us all a tag and, and have fun and work smart. More than anything,
0: and they rushed me Those out some belts. Are awesome. Garrett brought rushed me out some belts to take to Barcelona, and they came out great. So thank you so much. The bar, combat's been awesome. Nice. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. All right, this one comes from um, JPH. I've been trying to forge as close to possible the final dimension. I'm not happy with the surface finish I'm getting. I wipe off. I wipe any scale off my anvil between heats, and I've used water on the anvil to pop the scale off the blade. And as far as I can tell, my forging has re- has a reducing atmosphere. Should I take low heats to planish the steel after forging, or should I minimize the exposure to air by taking shorter or fewer heats? I tend to spend a lot of time tweaking and straightening. Mm. There you go. What do you think, Mareko?
2: Well, when I'm forging, I do I do my tweaking and straightening at lower temperatures, and that and when I'm saying lower, I'm I'm talking like subcritical, but definitely with color in it. So like a dull red to a dull orange, but nothing hotter than than what you would be heat treating at, basically. But I'm, and part of the reason is because I'm not trying to do. A, excessive mass reduction or moving. I'm not trying to actually forge. I'm just straightening things out and kind of tapping things. Um, but for me, I mean, really, actually, I think when it comes to scale reduction, getting a better, cleaner surface, you're definitely a, a good resource for that, Jeff, with your blacksmithing background. But I just, I, I, you know, I try to do, I've never been good with that whole water on the anvil popping off the scale. Me neither. I just kind of try to, yeah. It's yeah. Weird. I've, I've, I've seen it done a few times and it's cool, but I also, I mean, I think it works. I don't know. I've, I've just, I've never really done it, <laughs> but, um, but I, more than anything, I just try to forge really evenly and, and definitely in the last few rounds at lower temperatures to help kind of blast off or, or bust off some of that forge scale and, you know, lower temperatures that uh, at kind of shorter periods. Um, you know, I'm, when I'm doing the straightening stuff and, and tidying up, I'm, I'm just bobbing in and out of forge and I'm hitting the knife like every couple minutes as I put just a little bit more heat in it. Um, so, and I'm not forging to, you know, or like straightening and stuff until black, you know, I do a couple hits, take a look at it, put it back in the forge and just bob in and out. And so, I don't know. I, that's what I got, but Well, what about you, well, Mr. Blacksmith? When you're,
0: when you're heating the steel up, the hotter it gets, the more, you know, the carbon's going on the outside and you're developing the scale. One thing I've learned yeah. recently in the past five years working with John John Ariani, Cliff Dufton and all those guys is they're constantly wire brushing before the steel goes back into the forge. And what that does is that gets rid of the scale. So the next time you forge, you're not actually driving the scale into the knife. So one of the things these guys do is they do a ton of brushing, like aggressive brushing with these big old brushes. It's a little bit ridiculous as far as I'm concerned. I'm just kidding. It's fine. (laughs) Go ahead. Live your life. The other thing is, is that's true. If you're, if you're forging at a lower temperature, you're pulling the steel out at a lower temperature, you're going to get a lot less forge scale. And then when you're forging, you're going to be driving a little bit more material in a flatter way, a straighter way without as much Scale. I don't do that. I'm a bit of a maniac. I don't really, I do a little bit. If I see excess scale, I usually take it off. Uh, I could be a little bit tidier when um in between heats and making sure that I don't have any scale on the anvil face. I just, you know, I, I, I have my own problems I need to deal with. But a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of these guys really spend a lot of time uh, descaling the knife or the steel before they put it back in and and i think that you'll get a little bit of a better Situation also, I hate to say it, but a lot of people's anvils, the faces of their anvils are pretty fucked up. So if you have an anvil face that's that's got, if you have an anvil (laughs) face that has got, it's chewed up or it's been sitting outside and it's pitted and rusty, when you hit whatever you're hitting, when you hit your knife or whatever you're forging, you're actually driving the material into those like cracks and stuff. That's why a clean face is super important. And it's because you're not going to embed the crack you're not going to embed you know the pitting into whatever you're forging
2: pitted bro so pitted nice
0: that's it <laughs> that's an isolator yeah isolate that one that was a good one right there
2: have you have you not seen that surfer in california i certainly like, have
0: i love that that little clip is so great pitted, <laughs> that was a good clip pitted bro pitted bro so pitted, so pitted. i love it <laughs>
2: Um, actually something that you can do. So what's great about, and I think what makes that water tech, water on the anvil technique work is that it shocks the surface, this water and this hot ass steel. And it's something that, I mean, I'm sure you guys have observed this in oil quenching. Um, is that any kind of scale that develops on the outside of the blade when you're doing, when you're doing an oil quench? Blasts off from the shock of being yeah. quenched, and something that I've done before with like blacksmith knives is I'll do I'll have like a a uh, like a sil whatever a container of canola oil, whether it's usually it's like in a little metal metal cylinder next to the forge, and if you just do like a par quench, so you're not full quenching all the way down to to room temperature, you know you're pulling it out around critical maybe just below critical and quenching it just to black you know you don't need to go you don't need it to go farther than that but that shock will blast off also that forge scale and help clean things up or at least loosen it so you can pull it back out uh you know you want to wipe it off obviously before you put it back in the forge or start working on your anvil and and not necessarily working it cold but but it, it loosens things up so that you can brush it off Um, probably a lot easier. And, you know, even just a couple of those will help get rid of that forge scale and then start working at lower temperatures to help kind of start tidying up your forging um, and bring bring that temperature of that blade back up so you can actually... Do some of those kind of successive planishing rounds of forging um another tip about those brushes those giant brushes that you're talking about jeff uh-huh. i I got mine from a cash and carry store, which is a like a whole wholesale food and restaurant store, and it's a grill brush like uh-huh. you know, uh, yeah, for the hot side there's a giant grill brush with these giant bristles, nasty ass bristles i've had mine for like five years, and it's still basically brand new. Um, they are a little, they're like 20 bucks to start with, but that's one of those things that I'm glad I bought when I bought it because it's, it's been really useful and it can't is, it is really great for brushing off that hard scale. Like in part of what those black, like what I've seen John and, and Duck and Cliff do is that they're not only are they're brushing, they're like, they're impacting their material. They're like hitting it and brushing. They're like punching and brushing at the same time with that brush. And, uh, it's pretty, it's aggressive and it's, it was Really interesting to see them do that stuff. You can also
0: get a wire cup for your right-angle grinder. You don't have to, like, be, you know...
2: You, I, I try to stay away from my right-angle grinder as much as
0: possible. Well, I mean, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, there's no, like, back to the yeah. virtue thing. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not like people are... You can get them. I, mean, I have a wire cup on my wire brush all the time, and actually, I use it a lot because it gives it... when If you wire brush things while they're hot, you end up getting a a nice finish too you know all my all the forge yeah, yeah. stuff i do it's i cheap. always hit everything super hot with a wire brush and it makes a it kind of chills everything out it gets you mm-hmm. it, it's almost similar to like how you'd use like a, a scotch bright belt where it just kind of like
1: chills everything out a little bit
0: mm.
1: there, you yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go well what I, what i like to do when i'm forging is a uh yeah go ahead go ahead
0: keep going keep going
1: keep going keep going oh man
0: i wanted i wanted to see how far you'd go with that one i'd love to see that
1: as far as i'd go i think
0: (laughs) i was kind of hoping you were going to keep a little bit farther but that's fine you have a you have a handle you have a you have a you have a hammer from John John area I do you, I do I use that you could, for driving in pins and s-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wow <laughs> and
0: do, aren't you going to still take a blacksmithing class coming up
1: uh, uh, That was like, that was back go, in go, January but, that was back in January and it was axe time, making class time Yeah it was axe and time time gone on top of me again No way I can right. do it. All
2: right. Do you, Craig, do you have a forge and an anvil or something to hit with? I do, I Other do. Other than the hammer? Yeah, yeah. You do. So
1: I've got this little hmm. devil forge, which I used to use for my heat treating, and I've got this, this tiny little anvil, um, and I've got one of one of John's hammers. I just don't have the time. It's one of those things. I'd love to get into it more. And sure, sure. 100%. Especially with my appearance on Forged and Fire coming up, you know? I think I need to... <laughs> I oh, exactly, yeah. I'm with
2: you.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, you I'm going I'm <laughs> I'm to I'm tell you one thing. You know who has... One of the fun, one of the best knife makers, guy I really like, but he's got the f- most fucked up anvil. It's Pariah knives. I know you're mm. listening. Mm. I know you're listening. He's got one of those ones. <laughs> it's a blue with the nose cut off. He does these videos, and he always uses the worst anvil to, to cut off. Of I love you, Chris. Chris, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just breaking your chops a little bit. I hope you do some more of those videos of you chopping wood off, uh, chopping, uh, whatever you're chopping off that little blue anvil. I love that little. <laughs> of If you're not following Prya Knives, you're making a huge mistake, by the way.
2: I've this next nice one's for up. you, Craig.
1: For me. Go for it.
2: So this one's from Jace Alexander 8. He says, how big should steak knives be and what handle materials, uh, material to use? Blade type?
1: Oh, geez. Question mark? Um, Well, let's start with how? handle materials. I mean, it's up to you. There's no... <laughs> there's no uh... Definite answer to what handle material you'll use. But with regards to size and blade type, personally, I'd always use a stainless steel because nobody wants to get, you know, carbon all over their, over their steak or any sort of table knife, really, I'd use a stainless steel. Um, with regards to size, you know, there's no hard and fast rules, but mine personally is sort of six, six and a half inches. But here's the thing with steak knives, a lot of people don't oh, realize. What's
2: that in metric? Can you convert that? Oh, jeez, no.
1: No, I don't. It's weird how some things I'll do in inches and some things I'll do in millimeters. That's what I heard. I heard that. (laughs) I heard that. Depends what the weather's like. Yeah, I mean, the water's too cold. It's all millimeters. But... um what I see a lot of people if you just look at, you know, the hashtag steak knives, for example, on Instagram, you're gonna see some some beautiful knives. But you're gonna see a lot that have got a really flat edge to it. Almost as if they've taken a chef knife or a power knife and they've and they've sort of shrunk them down. But take a look at next time you're in a restaurant, take it somebody take a look at somebody using a table knife. It's gonna be up at about forty five degrees. All that cutting is done on no. the belly. So for a steak knife, it's to me I like it to be belly heavy a lot of weight up front and mm-hmm. and you know i don't even sharpen the, the blade down you know, down towards the handle because that's not that the flat edge isn't being used to cut at all right so quite often i won't <laughs> it's even sharpen anything. that bit it's, it's all about the belly so yeah make sure you got a nice a nice big belly on it and you're gonna make a decent steak knife that that's one thing do you, is fast you serrate it Serrated? Oh Jesus, no, Jesus, no. And okay, I I had a, a meeting this week. <laughs> wow, with that was a that with, was a serious answer with a restaurant. Yeah, God forbid. Um, and we we they talked about serrations, and it was no, just a simple no because that won't cut meat. It'll just tear meat, um, and it'll tear the mm-hmm. the grain and the fibers of the meat, and it and it will you know change the taste of it. Um. So no, okay. I no serrations. I mean serrations. I mean I've looked into it. They, they ran about the in the fifties certain factories started putting serrations on things and calling them steak knives, specifically for steak. Because they were using, they were using porcelain plates and they were using not the you know the cheap, cheap not very good steels, not hardened very well, and they were dulling blades mm. very, very quickly. So their way around that was not to make a better knife, was just to just, let's just put serrations on instead, and let's just tear the <laughs> thing instead of cut it. So no, for me, definitely no serrations. Serrations are only used for crusty things bread and that kind of thing
0: i'm glad you mentioned that uh i'm glad you mentioned that you really only need the first two two and a half inches sharpened and that's one of the things that i when i when i made my design for what i like in a steak knife my steak Hmm. knives are closer to a butter knife not really a butter knife then when they get too aggressive and they're too big I don't Mm -hmm. I don't like them as much because you're not cutting all the time with a knife, with a steak knife. You're actually using it to scrape the food onto the fork. So I'm far more interested in something like, you know, my knives. I like the I like the style of the style of knife where it's almost like it's thinner and lighter in your hand. And you don't need to go all the way to the heel with the, you don't need to have all the way up to the heel sharp because you're never going to get your, you're never going to get that That part of the knife is never going hit to the, hit the plate. Hmm. So I do like that. And one thing that I have heard is with the serrated knives is they destroy the plates. They totally destroy the plates and there's really no way to kind of like, you know, sharpen them. So you end up with like a, you know, as the serrated steak knife stays, gets duller and duller, you're just like, like you said, you're tearing that meat up and then you're, you're screwing up your plates.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you see more and more often now as well, It's particularly steaks being served on a on a slab of wood or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, a serration would, would just tear through that. And I think, you know, a slab of wood, for example, I think is, is very good for a steak because you can use your steak knife and, yeah, you're not damaging that edge at all as you would with porcelain. Um, but, yeah, as long as you keep your boards clean, you're good. I don't think I've ever been served a steak on a piece of wood. Really? No, very common. I I, I get it. Very probably common. Eighty percent of the time, I'm out and I'd have a steak. It would be on a. It would be Eighty percent of they 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 serve you a steak wow. on a piece of wood. On a piece of wood. It's huh. probably, it's. it's re, they, you've never seen that. You've never had I've that. I've seen
0: people use a cutting board and they cut the cut the knife on the cut the steak on the cutting board. But yeah. I've never been served a, a a a plank of wood with a steak on it. Wow. Nor have I ever served. Nor have have ever been served with a steak with a side of fucking melted cheese.
2: It's camembert. That's
0: a that's an old one, guys. That's an old <laughs> joke. Craig likes to dip his che- dip his steak in cheese. And eh, we don't have to go back there. Let's go forward. Forward. Let's go forward. But hey, that's good yeah, to me. how did you it.
1: clean the wood? The wood's gonna like soak up all the blood and the juice. Yeah, you gotta have a decent hardwood. And uh, personally, if uh, I'm doing them in the house, I'll use um you know salt you know a coarse salt and and water to clean are them.
0: you serving are you serving steak in your house on wood i
1: am i am
0: really so when you yeah. serve your new wife <laughs> a nice steak she gets a plat she gets a plate of wood she does she gets a oh, plate oh, of wood man, it's high level over there at the lockhart <laughs> lockwood family lockwood family's getting some high level wood plates very artisanal did you make the plates well, do you know what? Yes.
1: And get the all- fuck <laughs> out of <laughs> here. No, seriously, <laughs> you get ready for this. There a spoon <laughs> Come on, man. For no, we've got old, our, our house is ancient um, and we've, we're doing a lot of renovations. So we, we pulled out the, the floorboards in, in quite a few of the rooms and they're like two inch thick walnut. And these things, they, these things oh, wow. are beautiful. So there's, there's some areas where you know, there's damage, but we've had to take the whole flooring out. So we yeah so I've got I've got lots of them so I've started doing a few knife handles with it as well lovely so
0: so so you've made plates out of the floorboards that people have been walking on for centuries
1: oh yes oh yes you flipping a bit of it over yeah a bit when, of history how old is your house again um, 200? Oh, no from about sixteen hundred we think oh boy so Holy there's been shit, there's been rolled.
0: centuries of horse shit and and and, <laughs> and cow shit that's been smeared through the vi- Nice, nice. A little bit of foot and mouth disease over there in the hospitals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No wonder. No wonder your hair is so gray. Should we go back to the questions? Should we go back to the questions? (laughs) All right, let's do it. Okay. uh, Next one comes from Caram Knives. If you had to start your knife making journey over, what's the one thing you wish you could change? Ah, not very Hmm. good question, guys. What
1: would you do differently? What would you do differently? I don't think I'd I'd change. I mean, I've I've changed the way I do things constantly. So, you know, if something's not working, I'll change it. I'm not stuck in any sort of uh, prescribed way of doing things. So I don't think there's anything I'd change, really. Maybe not sell those first couple of hundred knives because they still haunt me to this (laughs) day. But, um, yeah, nothing I'd change. Oh, my God. What would I change? How are they
2: haunting you? Are people sending them back to you?
1: No, but it's just a case. Oh, they just. Yeah, I've talked about this in, in the head. past. It's like every time I do a knife or a batch of knives, they're so much better than the last ones. And mm. I just wish, you know, I, I come from a software background. I used to make software and, and design software, that kind of thing. And we could always just send out updates. <laughs> knife update. Yeah, we could just send out an update. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, nice, that, that's fixed. Nice. That's good. But, you I know, these things are out there, and I know they're not as good as they could be. And that, yeah, it, it gets to me.
0: That's part of the journey, though. That's it, the, is, that's exactly, it is yeah. that's the way it is. Yeah. The way it is. a good question. What would I change? What would I change? I would have I would have tried to I would have tried to focus on the business end earlier. I would have tried to like look at the big picture a little bit earlier. But other than that, I, I I hate to I hate to live life with regrets. It's just like well you know you can say I should have done this or I should have done that, but it's like doesn't really help the situation. Sure. So I don't think nah. I would have made a whole lot of changes. I would have tried to focus a little bit more as a business earlier, but other than that, you know, it's a very interesting question. You get into little things. You know, you get into I wish I didn't. Uh, you know, I wish I didn't use you know such thick material early on. But other than that, I, I don't. I don't want to make any changes.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to add. I think Jeff I'm. I'm on board with what Jeff was saying. Um, if anything, I mean, I. I love my customers. Um, but I would probably have, uh, you know, maybe, not allowed myself to get so backlogged, um, just because of the the mounting pressure that I constantly am feeling um, from the order list and uh and you know and and it just gets worse when you know things there's uh you know setbacks with builds and it just pushes everything everybody back and everything back and so I, i take that really hard even though my customers are very forgiving and very understanding um but uh but that's probably the biggest thing i regret otherwise um yeah otherwise you know, to, think everything to, to, everything to piggyback on that,
0: the piggyback on that's a really good point. I think probably I would have focused more on making stuff to sell directly as opposed to taking on as many custom orders. I think that having yeah. a combination of the both would have been a little bit better early on um, in terms of what you're saying, being able to kind of like have stuff to sell direct and then dealing with your custom orders as well. I think I probably would have tried to focus on less of, you know, just you know, you're ba- basically, it feels like you're taking a bucket and you're trying to take the water out of the, your boat. That's like filling up with water. So I, I, I would probably focus on probably trying to make more stock stuff.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think the thing about customs that, uh, you know, the, the people I had worked with, you know, working with Bob Kramer and then, you know, working alongside Dave Lish, you know, that it i i that's kind of the old school method of how custom knife making works is you take custom orders for the for a lot of custom makers, but I do wish that i had um had better understood other options and have had a little bit of different tiers or or had made you know maybe less a simpler production style knife kind of like the bread and butter while i work continue to work on doing my um You know my custom stuff, and you know really pushing my Damascus or or all that kind of other stuff. So, uh, but I think a lot of people see it's easy to look at customs and say, "Oh, I have all such and such number of custom orders," and almost kind of see it as a kind of a status symbol in a way. When the reality is like, it feels, it's it's not an awesome feeling <laughs> to, mm-hmm. you know, to have it's 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 kind of it's nice to have the job security in a way but once you've sit, you kind of you've established a reputation for making quality knives that perform well in whatever task they're supposed to be doing then you can kind of relax a little bit and ideally and just build whatever you want um but i think there's actually like Jeff was saying is to look at it from the more of a business perspective to start with and say, you know, let's make this a solid business before I can really start kind of fucking off and experimenting and playing around a little bit more. But I mean, ultimately for me, there's nothing I can do about it. That's where I'm at. I'm, I'm where I'm at and I just got to move forward. Boom. <laughs> All
1: right, there you go. We'll, let's do one more. And this is from Get Lost Kay. Knives. Hey man, can I ask okay. you a question? When it comes to full tang knives, how do you prevent the wood from expanding and releasing itself away from the tang? He says, do you use stabilised woods, do you use corby bolts, or do you just use a good all-round materials and epoxy? Thanks for the constant laughter and knowledge, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. It's a good question, because there's so many ways to to make a full tang knife. Um, Jeff, why don't, you, why don't you kick us off?
0: Well, for me, it's interesting because I really have gotten to the point now where I really depend on stabilizing wood or st- yeah. or using stabilized wood. And really just the, the, the quick idea what stabilized wood is, is wood has holes in it and airspace. And you, what you do is you. You know, like you're, you know, when you're, if you have a house where you open the door and the, or the, the window and and it's a little humid, it kind of, it gets stuck. And that's because it's expanding because of the moisture in the air. It's absorbing in those spaces and it swells the wood. So if you put the wood in a chamber and the chamber is a small chamber filled with uh, resin, you hook it up to this uh, very specific vacuum pump, and it pumps out all the air in the chamber, pumps out all the air in the wood, and what it happens is after a certain amount of time, you see all the bubbles disappear, you've removed all the air po- pockets, you turn it off, and then wherever there is air is replaced by resin, and then it's baked off, and then that resin turns into like a polymer, and then all of a sudden there's nowhere for uh, water or any kind of liquids to kind of absorb. So that prevents warping. Blah blah blah. I figured you needed that little blah blah blah. I love I love that. It really gives me a lot of um, it gives me a lot of uh, faith. I like uh, stabilized wood in general. I like stabilizing my own wood too, because I can use you know local stuff. And I depend on Corby bolts. I think Corby bolts for me are awesome because all of a sudden you're mechanically fastening your material you know corby bolts are basically two bolts one's a one's a like a for lack of a better word a uh, nut end and one's uh, the threaded end and then you get a special uh uh driver uh bit that makes a countersink perfectly to the size that you're using and then you're mechanically fastening once it's all once you're all put together and it's all glued up you just cut the heads off and you get this perfect finish you're not peening material you're not you know you know Putting shock on your material, and then all of a sudden your epoxy is no longer. You don't have to. You're using the epoxy as um, a sealer. So I never get. There's never any expanding. Um, the only time I've ever had a customer, uh, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, I made a knife for. I use uh, this is back in the day. I use unstabilized walnut, and I told him to not. And I use. And I didn't use Corby's. I just used pins. And I told him to not put it in the dishwasher. And he goes, and he brought it back. He's like, hey, man, you think you could fix this? And it was just, you know, there's a huge gap. And I said, well, did you put it in the dishwasher? And he goes, I didn't put it in the dishwasher, but my wife did. <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, come on, man. I told you. <laughs> I told you not to put it in the dishwasher. But I think that if I had used Corby's instead of pins, it probably, the, the wood probably wouldn't have slipped past uh the corby bol- the, the, the 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 corby bolts they kind of like i think sometimes with the pins when you see those uh that wood it it's slipping past it's expanding and it's like, slipping past because there's nothing for the wood to be kind of held by so i mm. that's but i also still have some knives that i made without with stable with unstabilized walnut and i'm waiting to see what happens and so far so good yeah i think if it's a
1: good yeah. hardwood um <coughs> you can get away with it if it's extremely hard wood. Um, but regards to stabilizing, yeah, I would stabilize everything. If it is hard, it, it's very hard to stabilize. There's not going to be much air in there anyway, so you're not really going to get much of a stabilization. Um, but what I also like about stabilizing wood is the finish that you get when you polish that up, because it yeah. gives this sort of it sort of plasticizes it a little bit, and it gives this lovely, yeah. lovely finish.
0: And for um, wood like it, for wood like oak, it changes the whole it changes the whole style. You know, it, yeah, it makes it yeah. all of a sudden it doesn't make it so splintery and flaky.
1: Yeah. And you can you know, you can add yeah. you know, colours, that kind of stuff as well. Um but I mean I one of my first steak knives, so when I did this this like a Kickstarter campaign, you know, some time back, um, one of the very first ones I, I've kept and I, and it actually lives in the dishwasher. So every time the dishwasher does a cycle, it it's just there and it goes through the cycles. It's probably done a few hundred cycles. Oh man. Um oh, wow. and those ones didn't have Kobe corby, corby bolts. They just had a mosaic pin and they just had a, a a straight uh, brass pin at the back um, and that's still as good as the day that it was that it huh. was made um, so yeah oh, stabilizing wood is, is is massive I think it's going to depend a lot on your epoxy as well um, I, I spent quite a bit on epoxy um, I'd love to take the time out and do some tests with different epoxies to see which holds better um, but I absolutely. But I'm now using Corby bolts on all of these sort of latest knives that I'm doing, and some that I'm doing will have decorative pins. So we've talked about this this way of doing things in the past is <coughs> cutting down your Corby bolt, actually putting a slot into it because obviously once you cut it, that slot is gone. So putting your own slot in, so you can tighten things up. But then you, I've still got a gap of about probably about five millimeters. Um, so then I can use a decorative pin, which I'll just take the the slither of. And, you know, if you're making a pin, which is mm. six inches, you, all of a sudden you've got a pin that'll do a hell of a lot of knives. And I'm epoxying that into that. So you've got a hidden Corby bolt. You can still get the decorative pin. So if the epoxy were to fail, which thankfully it hasn't yet on any of my knives, if the epoxy were to fail, that pin would pop out. But the the bolt would still be there because that's got the mechanical fixing. Um But, yeah, definitely stabilize stabilize wood. Don't use soft woods that haven't been stabilized because they, they, yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're going to split. They're going to warp. They're going to go all over the place.
2: I I have learned recently that there is epoxy that kind of deteriorates under exposure to moisture. Mm. And I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't know. I just assumed that all epoxies were basically the same, and that moisture wouldn't be an issue. But I have found. Um, I've learned that there are some epoxies that do kind of break down um, when it, it, when with prolonged exposure to moisture. Um, So I'd be careful that, especially if you're any knife that's going to be exposed to a lot of moisture, uh, which potentially is basically any knife, especially like the oils and like this sweat from your hand or whatever, um, or you know, being washed or, uh, you know, going, you know, hand washing or, you know, exposed to, you know, tomato juices or whatever, you know, you're cutting up. Try to make sure you're using an epoxy that's waterproof. Yeah. And a lot, make sure you a a lot of the epoxies are made
1: for <laughs> boat builders. Um, so I won't say yeah. any brands, but if you if you Google it, you know, boat building epoxy, you're going to find some. And that that's, tends to be the brands that I'd use.
2: Mm. Mm. See, and that's the thing, actually. I, I look, West Systems, I'm just going to say it, or, or West, I think, it. yeah, West Systems, yeah. they make an epoxy and they, Clearly stayed on there. Do not allow to get wet, which is ah. hilarious because a lot of the stuff they do is for marine work. So I wonder, like, where the fuck is that? Why are they even making that yeah. epoxy? And what, which the epoxy solid? is, so, it? is that,
1: That's not G Flex or the one hundred five, one hundred six, no. is it? What, which?
2: I can't remember which one it right. was, but uh, yeah, I would I would double check the uh, info. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So just make sure you but, yeah, make I was sure looking you look at some of them. Make sure you see, you know, yeah. make
0: sure you see what you got.
2: I would say just one last note about uh, helping to prevent the material from expanding on top of using stabilized materials is also I've I've still had even stabilized woods move on me, and so trying to figure out how to close up the surface as well, uh, it, it, on top of it being stabilized, um, you know, do either doing like a hardening oil of some sort, like a tongue oil, you know. Mm. Ex- consecutive coats or something like that just or or a nice hard furniture wax or something like that that will help close up any kind of any potential areas where moisture still could get into your material um and cause kind of expansion and contraction and that will help kind of reduce that uh considerably as
1: well yeah and also back to just flattening those those scales first. Get them as flat as possible. Because if, if they're not one hundred percent flat, or the flattest they could possibly be, you're gonna be putting stress on there. So obviously when you drill your holes, they're gonna be perpendicular to the to the flatness. Um if it's not completely flat, you're gonna be putting some stress on that wood. So it's more likely to crack yeah. if dropped. So yeah, back to sort of making sure things are super, super flat. So keep your flat wood lubed up, sounds That's like to the me. Way. You know, that's the
0: way get that, get that, get that hard wood, get that hard wood in good shape.
2: You know, yeah. you, you like making those dick jokes. I don't. Yeah. I didn't say
0: that. That you it's, did. I just said like, I see keep like, your keep your keep your wood flat and innu- hard. Innu-
2: innuendous. Yeah,
0: I, I, there's no innuendous <laughs> here at all. I'm just talking about handle material. Just Jeff because, likes
1: to put his wood into be- a vacuum
0: chamber, <laughs> man. Just because you, just because <laughs> you guys make that jump, I can't blame me. I'm here for, I, I, listen, I'm talking about handle material, talking about dicks Come on man, what happened? Jesus What happened? Okay. Sorry oh, sweetheart Yeah, Sarah, that wasn't me man, that was your old man right there Oh lord have mercy Alright, so now, guess what, I'm back from New Jersey I'm not back from New Jersey, you stupid asshole I'm back from Spain And you know what came back, when I got back here in the shop, I'm in the shop right now I got a package from the New Jersey Steel Baron. They just water jetted all my Bandito knives. And I'm telling you what, I put it up to my, uh, my template that I gave them. It's exact. So if New Jersey Steel Baron, not only do they sell great steel, and you can go to New Jersey, their website, they're still working on it, so, you know, that's the way it is. You can buy material from them, but they'll also do water jet services. So if you give them a template of what you want, where the holes are, blah, blah, blah. I even didn't even I, – I physically handed him a template, and he got uh, – Pete got it a perfectly, 100% right. So they'll do water jet services. They'll do your steel for you. All their steel is marked and ter- certified in regards to – they stand behind it and where it came from. And it's an awesome way to sponsor, to support a small business. And um, New Jersey Steel Baron's fantastic. That's where I buy my steel. That's where I get any water jet services done. And there we are, New Jersey Steel Barron. Website coming soon. Well, we'll see. I'm with you.
1: Craigs Community Showcase. It's that part of the show where we like to give a shout-out to somebody or a product or something that we we really respect and admire. Um, and I'm just going to jump straight into it. So mine is Clement Knives. Now... I first spoke to these probably about a year ago. They actually invited me down to their shop. They knew that I was in London for a meeting and they're based in London. They said, come on over. And unfortunately, time got against me again and I couldn't make it. But a few times they've popped up over the last year. So um, I talked last week about recycled handles and these, this recycling that I'm doing for a bunch of handles. So I'm, I'm on uh, the Precious Plastics website and doing a bit of research on recycling plastics. And and they pop up as as somebody who uses this process. So, um, so they're doing that already. They I think they're taking um old plastic out of the Thames, the River Thames in London. They're taking it out of the Thames and they're repurposing it as knife handles, which is amazing. Um, and they've actually recommended me for me for some work as well. So I had an email from them saying, look, they've been asked to do this work. They're a bit snowed under, and they've recommended me for it. So. That's what community is all about, looking out for each other. So a big thanks to Clement Knives, and they're Clement Knives on Instagram. There you go. Who have you got, Marekko?
2: Um <clears throat> I want to give some love to my buddy Robert Burns. Um I actually can't remember if we we may have already given him a shout out for the community showcase, but if not, and you don't follow him, you got to go check out check him out. He's on Instagram as Wilderness Ironworks. He uh, he is now in Massachusetts. He's originally from Pennsylvania. Um, but he is a phenomenal knife maker he's he's super talented he he just he does really great work he's very creative he's super he's young he's like 26 years old and um and he's just he's doing really great work that's very inspirational and again uh, very creative and he's doing stuff that you know I don't really see a lot of other people doing and it's it's just really cool to see his flair um in his work and taking things that are kind of and he does a little bit more kind of traditional ABS style knife, but he definitely puts his own spin on it and gives it a little bit more character than you would normally see. And so um or I guess outside of the norm in a good way. So and he's doing a lot of really cool stuff with Mosaic Damascus recently. So definitely go give him a follow. Wilderness Ironworks it's Robert Burns, he's a good guy. There you cool. go.
0: Well I'm gonna give a lot of love to Florentine kitchen knives. If you're not following Florent, and I know we've mentioned him before, I know he had a whole episode, but I don't care. I'm telling you this. Tomer Botner and his and his wife Noam Blumenthal are extraordinary people and Florentine kitchen knives is a very very good resource in regards to what you should be looking at in terms of the total package. I think that his knives, I've seen them up close, I helped build a few There are the total package in regards to fit and finish design, the design element. He set himself apart from a lot of knife companies. Um, He's a super, super savvy guy, really smart. I've learned a pile from him. His handles are beautiful and they're, they're beautiful and you get this customization with the handles and they look great. And I just like, I can't tell you enough how he is an inspiration to me in regards to this business. Um, thank you, Craig, for introducing me to, I never knew Tomer before this podcast. So it's just, you can't stress enough how he, this guy represents the total package in terms of creating a product for his customers and his customer service, his packaging, his everything is, you know, he's really kind of figured all the little details out. And I'm just, you know, I'm very honored to know him and he's someone I look up to. And he can wear the hell out of a cape. Hey, he's got some. Hey, listen, he's got some <laughs> nice Dutch aprons. I was very, I was amor- I was envious of his beautiful style. His he's got good style. He's uh, Tomer. What's a, What's a
1: Dutch apron?
0: I get some of these aprons from 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 the Dutch. I don't know. Get oh, get okay. these Dutch. I don't know. I wasn't wasn't <laughs> like a was it like a thing? It was like a top hat. It was like a you know. He's got these. I was like, where'd you get those? Where'd you get aprons. those nice from aprons? I got from oh, the Dutch, and I'm like, all right, they're awesome. So. Got a good style to him, smart guy, cruises around on a motorized scooter, looking good all the time. Tomer Botner, man. High good level guy. I, guy. He almost made me, I almost, I started to say, you know, maybe I needed a, a motorized scooter. So I got home. Hillary's just like, maybe you could go to, to your shops only two miles away, and get a motorized scooter. Thank God, the United States doesn't allow, or New York State doesn't allow motorized scooters on, this, on the streets because there'd be, it would be problems all over the place. And I'm a big guy. Really? I'm a big guy. I'm a big guy. I don't. Design, I don't. Shouldn't be on one of those goddamn things. I look ridiculous, like a clown. But it was. What a, do you mean they don't allow? Do we
1: have scooters on not, the street? Uh,
0: listen, like a Vespa? No, no, no. Like they are these. Not like that kind of scooter. Number two, I'd look even stupider on one of those. But <laughs> uh, the. Um, you know those. You're little, talking
2: about like a rascal?
0: No, no, no. <laughs> not a rascal. I'd look even stupider on that. That's probably going to be the next thing I get. <laughs> But it's uh,
2: it, it's more age appropriate. All
0: right, all right, there you go. Kick, keep them coming in, keep them coming in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's this—they're they're, they're like kick scooters, you know? They're like what kids have, like those razor scooters. But they got these motors oh, on them, and all over, yeah. all over yeah. Barcelona, people were on these scooters, and he didn't kick once. It had incredible power, and he looked good getting to work, and he's you know smart. He didn't need a car in Barcelona, so everybody's we, wait.
2: <laughs> so were you riding along with? No, them? I
0: was on a I was on a a city bar a city bike. I was on a city bike, okay. and I tell you what—they in Barcelona they had some assisted city bikes. So you kick once, and it gives you a little extra. It's got a little engine on the back, and it gives you a little bit of a boost. It's a great way to get around. But thank God they don't have those ones <laughs> in New York. Otherwise, they'd be New Yorkers would be driving through you know windows, and they'd be like getting head over tea kettle, ass over tea kettle. But yeah, they don't. <laughs> New York State's just like, hey, listen, man, you motherfuckers are going to be on the highways with those things. We don't want you on there. So there's no uh, none of that shit over here. It'll play. (laughs) Do we have beefs? Yeah, damn right.
1: Uh,
2: This is the part of the episode (laughs) where we talk shit and uh, air some of our grievances a little bit. A little bit of our own festivus here that we call What's the Beef? Craig is going to kick us off with... Why is it, yeah, yeah. lanes,
1: trains, and automobiles. So I've had—we talked about this earlier. I've, I've had a month or so of just constant travelling, and fed up of just bad, bad travel. So let's start with trains. Trains never on time. So if you're in a, if you're in a city, if you're in London, for example, you can just hop hop on the tubes, and that that's fine. As soon as you get outside, you've got to get you know your, your normal train, which you've got a schedule which they never keep to. There was closing down things and diverting. Um, the, the biggest beef I've got with trains is there's no bins. There's no bin on a, on a train. So if you've got a three-hour journey, you're going to take something to eat and you, know, you, need, you, know, you need somewhere to put all your, your crap. There's no bin. So you get to the station, so you take it out. There's no bins in any of the stations because they're worried people will put bombs and shit in there. So you're just, you just walking around with this bag of rubbish then and you've just paid a fortune for this travel too and they won't even put a bin in. So you're talking a garbage can? Yeah, sorry, garbage Garbage can. Yes. Garbage, not garbage man, garbage can. Yes, so that means that trains are just full of garbage because Uh. people are just like, well, I've got nowhere to put it. I've literally just got to leave it here. And they're not cleaned. They're disgusting. They're disgusting. And as we pointed out earlier, these are costing three or four times what you'd pay for a flight. So trains, sort your shit out. You're my beef. <laughs> <this week. laughs> trains, sort your shit out. Trains, ah, I love
0: that. I love that ending. God, ah, Morocco, what's your beef? What can you do?
2: Uh, my biggest beef right now is with sleep. <laughs> yeah. It's it. I mean, I I am no um, you know, early forties gentleman with twin babies, but. I have not woken up from a well-rested night in what seems like a long fucking time. Welcome (laughs) to
0: my world. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I got your solution. Uh, I got your
0: solution. Go ahead.
2: It's draining on me. It's draining on me. So I need to figure something something out because I can't, like, I, sleep is very, (laughs) I think it's important for everybody, but I do not operate well when I'm not getting enough sleep and I'm crabby as fuck you know people get hangry and shit like that i can go all fucking day without eating food but if i don't get enough sleep i'm the biggest piece of shit angry little motherfucker you ever met i'm gonna solve your problem <laughs> so, right now
0: i'm gonna solve your problem go ahead yeah, here. No, go oh, ahead and finish up solution. you need a little
2: no that's it i just i just need to get some good z's you know what that's what you i want to get some
0: good z's and i'm pissing i'm gonna get getting yourself <laughs> a little puff puff have a little puff puff before you go to bed a little bit of weed And you're going to sleep like a fucking baby. Trust me.
1: Kids, we do not recommend drug use on this show. I didn't say anything
0: about that. Don't do that. Oh, yeah. By the way, I I I am in Washington State. Don't do it.
1: It's
2: legal in Washington State. So Ah, if you're Washington, you're a a grown adult of legal age, you make your own call. But I've actually heard more and more studies about how uh, substances like that can actually really start fucking with your sleep. And... All right. Not help they'll help you you won't get as good a sleep as you all could right. without it. That's that's obvious. But I have I have heard of
0: that. I've heard of it too. All right, listen, here's my beef. Here's my beef. My beef is when you're on an airplane and you the plane lands, don't
1: clap. Oh Jesus, yeah. Don't
0: Jeez. clap. <laughs> This is not when you get on a plane, it's not rolling the dice. If you were to survive, the chances of an airplane crash are very, very low. It's probably it's safer to fly than it is to be in a car. Sometimes you get on a plane. It's usually from Florida. It's usually from Florida. I get on a plane. It's a long ride and we land and it's bumpy. I'm not a great flyer. I don't enjoy flying. But for God's sakes, act like you've been there before. Please act like you've been there before. <laughs> don't clap and thank God and thank the pilot for not killing us all. It makes you look dumb. They're, they're not supposed to crash. So don't, no. don't start clapping. It sounds so stupid. It makes me feel like, God damn it. What do you think? We're, what do you think? This is a shot in the dark. This is going to work or not. Have you ever been <laughs> unless, on one of those planes? When
1: they clap? unless the stewardesses clap, then you know that it is worthy of a clap. Have you Have you
0: ever oh been oh on one of those God. planes where somebody they land and people start clapping?
1: <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah, oh,
0: plenty.
2: Yeah, the first the first time I ever heard it, I was like, "What the fuck's going on? Did I miss something?
0: Yeah. Performance of Thank <laughs> is there God We're Entertainer alive. on board somewhere? It's just like, come on, <laughs> yeah. guys. We're I'm not a good flyer though. The older I get, the worse I am. I grip the thing. I turbulence. I can't. I can't get comfortable i don't enjoy it i don't enjoy flying at all but for god's sakes i'm not gonna you know oh thank god you know thank jesus hi everybody thank everybody that pilot oh the pilot saved our lives no no the pilot did his job or her job don't
2: clap do need- i was just gonna say you know what a good solution I is. i
0: certainly do go ahead
2: <laughs> you, you you get yourself one of those edible gummies, mm. weed gummies. And <laughs> I don't know if it's legal in New York, but mm. eat one of those before you get to the airport. Right. By the time you get through TSA, you're going to be feeling pretty hey, good. Hey,
0: children, don't do that. Listen to me. Listen to me. I, <laughs> if you want to see a crazed maniac on a plane, feed me some of that before I go on. I will never, I will never, I will never go on a plane with that because I don't I uh, I, uh, not that I do anymore but when I did you know I well. was like I, I'm the kind of guy like I need to unplug the I need to unplug the phones back when you had to really had a house vote and I and, like to crawl into a sock drawer I am not going on a plane <laughs> with other people for a long period of time up to my back gills and you know that stuff so mm. I'm more along the lines of just kind of like grind my teeth and pray for the you know, you know hope for the best and you know, just don't clap. Don't clap, please. PS, wow. PS, if you're on a long flight, why do the steward why do the uh flight attendants wake you up if you want a sandwich? Why do they wake you up if you're sound asleep? It's like Oh you got God. the, listen, the steward, the airlines now are so smart. They put TVs in the back of the seats. So you, so they, so it's great because it's like, I don't have to deal with your bullshit anymore. The slight attendants are like, this is perfect. You, you watch your TV and you're not going to give me any shit. So why would you poke the bear and wake these people up? I was next to a guy dead asleep. She woke him up to see if he wanted some orange juice. And she's like, No, I don't want any fucking orange juice. I was down, I was dead asleep. (laughs) Thank you for waking me. Jesus Christ. And now he's irritated. I'm sitting next to this fucking guy. She like lit him on fire,
1: basically. And then I got (laughs) to deal with this fucking guy. They've got to have fun some way, haven't they? That's got to be the worst job ever. Can you imagine like all these people going off on holiday and they just don't give a shit about you? I had a guy. Just there to serve them. Ugh, be the worst.
0: I had a guy. I had a. Tomer by the way hooked me up with the with the with the flights and he got me bulkhead seats on the way back. Shout out to Tomer, the best of all time. And I had a sweatshirt on the floor because there's you know, if you're on the bulkhead there's nowhere to put your shit. This this uh flight attendant said to me, "Sir, you have to put that You have to put that above the above your head." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? It's just a sweatshirt." He's like, "You can't have that on the floor." I'm like, "It's just a sweatshirt." So, you were having this argument about it's not a thi- it's not going to fly. It's not going to fly off and like hit somebody in the head, in the landing. It's a sweatshirt. So I ended up having to put it in my lap, but it was very much along the lines of, I hate, I would hate to have that job where I, I got to argue with an asshole like me and say, sir, can you just put your sweatshirt in the goddamn <laughs> top? You're, you're driving me crazy here. So maybe I should eat some edible gummies before I go
1: on. I'll be a little bit more relaxed <laughs> <laughs> and clap at the end. Thank God we're home. So there we've had go. trains, planes and sleep as our and, beefs this week. And canes, nice. nice. Yeah. So that's the show. That's the show. Episode 75. We're done. We're done. Thank you again for listening. Remember, we've got our forum at forum.knifetalk.net. If you've got any questions you want answered by our listeners, and we shall speak to you next week.